The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue looking at the book of Job, we're now dealing with some specific verses from the attacks upon Job. Today we come to a statement made by Zophar in one of his arguments against Job, where he says, The triumphing of the wicked is short. This is a very true statement, even though Zophar misapplies it to Job. Indeed, the triumphing of the wicked is short, but it's on God's timetable and not ours. Join us today as we look at this true statement, and we understand that God ultimately will have justice upon the wicked, even though we may not see it in our lifetimes. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. to 
turn to Job, the 20th chapter tonight. You may recall we were sort of deviating from our verse-by-verse discussion of Job because we've gotten to a point where we've heard from all three of his miserable comforter friends. And now what we're going to be seeing is just a repetition of some of the same things they've said before, said in maybe different ways, and I don't believe that would be profitable for us to just continue to do that. I encourage you to read through all of Job because uh, there's, uh, it gives you a, a greater sense of how, how truly off track those three friends of his were. And it gives you a sense of some of the pride slipping through in Job. And it gives you a sense of how truly miserable he was as well. But it also gives us a sense of where his hope lay, where Job's hope lay. And so I encourage you to to read that on your own. But in the meantime, uh, what we've done is we've looked through some of the things that have been said and we've pulled out some nuggets of truth that are spoken by Job's miserable comforters. Now, I want to tell you up front, in every case, they misapplied it. But there are some great truths, nonetheless, that I want us to talk about. Last time, you may recall, uh, we looked in chapter 15 where uh, he talked about that he, the fact that he puts no trust in his saints and not even in his angels, much less his saints. And we talked about where we are as children of God, the status we have before him. And we finished talking about that. So tonight I want to turn to another one in the 20th chapter. And this is, this is Zophar, the Namathite, speaking. And in, in, in Job chapter 20 and verse 4, we read this. He says, Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment? And I want to deal with that statement because that's a true statement. The triumphing of the wicked is short. Now, I think we need to be reminded of that, especially in the day in which we live. Since we last met, we've seen 19 children murdered in Texas. We've seen other problems arise from the wicked deeds of men. We're constantly seeing uh, uh, tragedy and death in Ukraine. We're seeing all these problems in the world and we see wicked men triumphing. We see in a lot of cases the evil on top and good being ground underfoot in this life. We, we talked about that, I believe, maybe last Sunday night or the Sunday night before when we talked about the fact that even though all things are put under the feet of Jesus, all things are in subjection to Him, we don't always see that here in our perspective. From our perspective, it doesn't look that way, even though it's true. And we saw that we need to keep our eyes upon Jesus. So I want to talk about this tonight, the Lord being our helper. And as I said, we have to be careful with it, but this is a very 
true statement. Turn with me over to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to read Paul's version of this, if you will. In Galatians chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse uh, 7. Now, now listen to this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That is a biblical truth, the truth of sowing and reaping that applies across the board. And you say, wait a minute, preacher, I, hadn't, I don't always see that work out in my experience. Well, we're going to come back to that in a minute. I understand what you're saying. I get that there are many times it appears that the wicked sow wickedness and prosper and the good, sow, the good people sow goodness and it doesn't prosper. But, but bear with me, okay? He says, God is not mocked. And he says, don't be deceived. Now, that tells me there's a chance we will be deceived in this world. If we're not careful in this world, we will be deceived by what we see. But he says, don't be deceived. He said, God is not mocked. He says in verse 8, he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now, we're not talking about some system of good works that's going to get us to heaven or bad works that's going to send us to hell. What he's saying here is, is that in our experience here, even as children of God, we can sow to the flesh. We can go out and, and avail ourselves of the parties of this world. We can be the prodigal son. Did you know you and I, you say, well, no way, preacher, surely not. We've been grounded in the faith. We've been, yes, so was the prodigal son. He lived in the palace of his father. He lived out there where his daddy was in charge and had servants and all the luxuries of the palace were his and he neglected it anyway and he went out there to party with the world. <laughs> That's basically, he said he, he wasted his substance in riotous living. That's a big, a big party. I tell you, there's, there's parties in the world, aren't there? I've watched the New Year's Eve shows, the New Year's Eve galas for most of my life on New Year's Eve. And and you go to, you could see those cameras uh, point down on Times Square, and boy, it is a party. And I know people that just long to be there. I've talked to uh, a person one time, said, I would love to be there. They've been there before. I'd love to go back. Now, that sounds like a horrible place to be to me. But, uh, but uh, be that as it may, there, there are people that are attracted to that. And the truth is, in your flesh, in yours and my flesh, we're attracted to that too. The fleshly side of us would really enjoy being out there feeding the flesh in the world. You and I can get there because the prodigal son got there and he was a child of his father. That wasn't a story about somebody going down there and getting born again in the pig pen. He was already a child of God. He already knew the pleasures of the kingdom. And he went down there and neglected it anyway. You can sow to the flesh and if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You know why? Because all that is in the world... The, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, John tells us, is not of God. That's all that's in the world. You think about it. That's all that's in the world. The lust of the eyes. What we can see. That's where all sin started, is it not? It all started with, with uh, Eve looking on the fruit and she saw that it was good for food. <laughs> and then it said, and she saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. There's the pride of life right there. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is all you'll find in the world. But if we, reap, if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap life everlasting. 
Now that, again, that's not talking about doing enough good works to get to heaven. You know what Jesus says about, and, and John says about those that, that are believers in Christ? He says they have everlasting life. They're not going to get it one day. They have it right now. Did you know you and I, as born again children of God, we have everlasting life right now. Isn't that amazing? Right now we have it. We possess it, and we need to lay hold on it. And we're going to come to that in a, in a minute and, and talk about that. But notice he says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see, vengeance belongs not to man, but to God. We're told in Psalm 94 and verse 1, as he opens that psalm, he says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. He... he you know, I see things happening in the world. I see things happen to me. I want to set them right. My favorite shows are those westerns with John Wayne. When he comes riding into town and there's somebody oppressing the people and they get in a shootout and he sets it right. You know, I want to be John Wayne. <laughs> you know, I grew up wanting to be him. I want to be the guy that comes in and sets things right. Many times as a prosecutor, when I was... When I was trying to set things right there, I'd think of myself as John Wayne. Don't tell anybody I said that. That's too embarrassing <laughs> to talk about. But it's like, here I am, John Wayne. I may have had a suit on, but I had a cowboy hat and a neckerchief, you know. And if I could have just ridden into court on a horse, it would have been perfect, but I couldn't. So, But, but my point is, we don't we want to set things right? I do. I want to be the one to take vengeance. But the Bible tells us that vengeance is mine I will repay, saith the Lord. The Lord is not mocked. He is going to have his vengeance upon the wicked, and he is going to bless those that are his children. But anyway, coming down here particularly to verse 9, this is what I want to really focus on just for a few minutes. He said, and let us not be weary in well-doing. He said, don't be deceived. You see a lot of bad things going on out there, but God's not mocked. He's going to take care of it. And if you can avoid being deceived, then let us not be weary in well-doing. Because sometimes I feel like giving up. I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel. When I get news like I got a couple of days ago about this young man, this friend of Mason's that died, I just think, what's the point? I want to give up. You read about the shootings in Uvalde, Texas, and others that have occurred through the years, you say, what's the point? We're just dipping water out of the ocean with a spoon. But you know what God says about it? He says, first of all, don't be deceived. And secondly, don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get weary in well-doing. He said, for in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. In due season. Now, I, I looked that phrase up because I was wanting to kind of get a better idea of exactly what it means. It's, as I always say when I go to the Greek, it's properly translated. But you can sometimes mine some nuggets out of, out of the Greek or Hebrew word that uh, don't readily appear on the surface of the, of, the, of the Scripture here. And that word due season literally means pertaining to oneself one's own or of what pertains to one's property or family or dwelling or country ultimately it says that it's pertaining to one's nature or character or aims or 
purposes. Now, what that tells me is this, is that the due season that he's talking about is not necessarily my season. Not necessarily my season. See, that's the problem we get into. And really it comes back to forgetting that he is God and I am not. You know, sometimes I look around and I say, boy, that needs to be fixed or that person needs to be punished. This one needs to be elevated. I need to get this done. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not God. It doesn't appear it to be happening in the right season for me. It's taking too long for these things to, to, to work out for the right. It, it's, justice is not prevailing on my timeline or my schedule, but it's not my timeline or my schedule. It's due season, which is God's timing. God's time. And that's why we go back to what I was saying earlier when it says the triumphing of the wicked is short. It does not appear that way to me. It appears to me like they come into power and they stay there and they're there too long and they, then they, 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 they do too much wickedness for me. But notice this friend of Job's who doesn't get it always right, but he got that right. He's still misapplying it, though. He's doing what I do. He's saying, you know, Job, it doesn't look like that things are working out right, and that's just proof that you're wicked. <laughs> you're wicked because, obviously, the triumphing of the wicked is short. You've been on top, buddy. Now you're not. God's punishing you. That's not what's happening at all in Job's case. And he's getting it mixed up like, like we do. See, the problem is with our definition of short, the triumphing of the wicked is short. Okay? In my mind, that means that sometime in the next few days, it needs to be fixed. <laughs> in fact, today would be fine. <laughs> it would be even better if it was just right now. But our definition of short and God's definition of short are vastly different. You remember back over in 2 Peter. Let's just turn over there. 2 Peter, the third chapter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, God is through Peter is giving an answer to those who were naysayers about the resurrection. You know, that people were saying, where is the promise of his coming for, you know, since the, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. In other words, y'all are foolish for waiting on him to come back. You know, I, I said it already this, this evening during our prayer request. I'm ready for him to come back. I wish I wouldn't get another word out of my mouth before the eastern skies are split wide open and the trump sounds and he comes back to take us home. As far as I'm concerned, he ought to. <laughs> it ought to happen right now. You know, I'm so impatient for that. But you see, these, that's what, if you're not careful, your impatience will translate into despair and, and, and even unbelief if you're not careful. And that's what these naysayers here were saying. They were saying, you, are, you foolish Christians, you're waiting on the Lord to come back. Nothing's happening. It's not happening. Everything's like it always has been. But notice what he tells them in verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. They, you know, Think about what he's saying here just a minute before we go any further. <laughs> he's saying there's one thing that'll help you remember, or that will help you uh, deal with all this. There's one thing. So what is it, Peter? What is it? He says, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, 
A thousand years is not a short time for me. I will not live to see a thousand years. I'm just tickled that I got to live in a time where I got to live in two millennium. I, I, I got to live in the in the uh, the second millennium, which would have been you know a thousand and one A.D. to to two thousand A.D. And now I'm in the third millennium, if you will, after Christ, where it began in two thousand one and going forward. I think that's amazing. It blows my mind. And, you know, it, it was neat to see the turn of the century. I thought that was pretty cool, too, to see you know, us go from 1999 to 2000 and, and then to 2001 where we start the 21st century. And I was thinking, how cool would it be to live to see the next century? And then I got to adding it up. <laughs> it might be pretty cool, but I ain't going to make it. <laughs> I'm not going to be there. Unless the Lord just does something for me that he doesn't done for anybody else. And to be honest, we I don't want to be here that long. It'll be a hundred and... 33 years old. Man, that sounds awful. <laughs> so, but with God, that's nothing. You know, in a sense, it's only been a little over two days in the mind of God since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I think 2,000 years is plenty long. That's a long time to wait for him to come back. But two days is not that big a deal to me. If he had died and was buried and rose again two, to two, two and a half days ago, I'd think, well, you know, I, I can wait a little longer. But in the mind and purpose of God, if, if, if indeed one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day, then from God's perspective, it's only been a little over two days. Well, actually not quite two days if we believe he died in around 30 A.D., you see. See, the problem is our definition of short in God's is vastly different. And he goes on to say this, that he doesn't stop there. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. I'm so thankful for that. I, you know, I try to keep my promises. I really do. But there have been times in my life where I made a promise and then I forgot about it. I mean, I've had people call me, I, I say recently, not in the last few days, but in the last few years, somebody would call me and they would say, hey, did you get that done that you said you were going to do? And that's the worst feeling in the world because I had no idea what I said I was going to do. Totally forgot it. And I finally have learned, Brother Mackey, just to say, brother, I am totally blank here. Can you please remind me what it is I said I was going to do? Now, once or twice, it actually worked out. I'd done it and forgot I did it. <laughs> That's pretty bad. But, uh, but my point is, is that you won't ever have that problem with God. God won't ever say, oh, man, I forgot all about that. You see, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. By the way, he didn't say promises, his promise. There's really only one promise that matters, and that's the fact that he is coming to get us one day. He has died for us. He has promised in covenant promise. He has agreed to save his people from their sins, and he has done that. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that anybody of Adam's posterity, including every single person in the world. Is that what that says? I don't think so. It says, not willing that any should perish, 
any of who. He just told us who. He's long-suffering to usward. Usward. And I realize, I just want to stop and say this. I realize this is a, this is a verse that, that those in the world who teach that there's something you must do and that everybody has an opportunity to accept Jesus or to do something to be saved, they use this verse to prove their point. But that is not what this verse is talking about. It's like I heard a preacher say one time that the problem with most of the religious world is that they're reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> they're reading somebody else's mail. They believe that the, the scriptures are written to all of Adam's posterity when in truth they're written to all of God's children. Flip back over just for a minute just to prove the point. And let's see who this letter is written to. In chapter 1 of 2 Peter, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Who is the us word? The us word that he's talking about there? It's those that have obtained like precious faith. He's writing to children of God. And that's the any that he's talking about there. He said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us. We're not willing that any, any of who, any of those who have obtained like precious faith, any of his children should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, I think this teaches us a very important point. We often wonder about why he's tearing. I do. Lord, why didn't you come back? Why hadn't you already come back? I'll tell you why I believe he hadn't come back. Brother Buddy, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he's waiting until the last elect child of God is quickened and made alive, born again. He's not coming back before that last one is quickened. Now, I don't know if he'll tarry any longer after that last one is quickened or if he's going to come back immediately. But I know one thing. There will not be anyone left out of the resurrection. And those that are to be resurrected have to have been born again, you see. So when I get impatient and I get to struggling, I say, you know, Lord, I really don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it seems short to me, but it's not short to you. See, if we get to thinking like that, we're going to have some problems. Turn with me back over to Psalm 73, and we'll, we'll not keep you too much longer. The kind of thinking that Zophar had, you know, he was right, as I said, about the triumphing of the wicked being short. The problem is he didn't understand what short was. Short to him was something different than what short to God was. But in Psalm 73, we read about another man here. A man named Asaph, who was a great writer of psalms. He wrote many psalms, okay? And this man, Asaph, starts off good. He says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But then in verse 2, he's telling us, I've got some problems. He said, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. <clears throat> this man was depressed. This man was in despair. This man didn't have any hope. His feet were almost gone. He, he, he was, his steps had well nigh slipped. He felt himself to be bogged down in life. He was having problems. What was his problem? 
I believe it's a problem that can afflict us if we're not careful. Here's why. Verse 3, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He looked around him and he saw that those who are foolish and those who are wicked tend to prosper in this world. They tend to do well in this world. They're better in business. They accumulate more wealth. He goes on to say there are no bands in their death. They're not, you know, a lot of, I've seen children of God who died long suffering deaths. Some of the disciples, some of the apostles died torturous deaths. But there are no bands in the death of the wicked. They just drop dead. <laughs> They're living life and nothing bothers them. Their strength is firm. I've seen some of the dear old saints of God who just barely hobbled around, could barely get around. I've seen some that were blessed, but I've seen many that barely got around. You see the wicked that are just out there in their 80s and 90s that are just as strong as they've ever been. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. He goes on to talk about it here. Their pride compasseth them as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. They're protected. They're doing well. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. I don't know about you, but I hadn't quite made it there yet. I, I've got some things I still wish I had. Uh, I, I don't have enough money yet to be able to do the things that, that I really think I need to do and want to do. See, I don't have more than my heart could wish. That's not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that there's a lot out there that I don't get to do because I don't have this kind of prosperity. They are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. He's talking about pride. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. They are railing against God. Let me tell you something. I see that happening every day on the news. There are people in the halls of Congress there are people in the White House. There are people in the kings of this earth and rulers of this world that have no regard for God and do ungodly things that seem to just keep getting reelected or keep, getting, keep staying in power and keep prospering in this world. Their mouth is against the heaven. Their tongues walk into there. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. They've got all the servants they need. They've got all the stuff they want. And look at what they say. They say, how does God know? Oh, I don't believe in God. God's not going not to uh, see what I'm doing. Is there knowledge among the mo in the Most High? <laughs> he said, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And here's his conclusion about it when he gets his eyes upon those things that are around him. He said, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. In other words, I keep looking around and I see these wicked people prospering. I just think I've tried to be faithful in vain. Now, I will tell you, especially in the Primitive Baptist Church, we ought to be familiar with this feeling because we can look around us and see a lot of churches that are prospering in a lot greater ways as far as numbers go and as far as uh, material things go than we are here. You know, I'm so thankful for the crowd we have here tonight, but also on Sunday morning and Sunday night, we are so blessed. And, and comparatively speaking, uh, for the primitive Baptist uh, churches, we have a wonderful crowd. Because there's some places that I go preaching where there's only a few. 
four, five, six, seven, ten, fifteen. You know, praise God for those faithful few. But my point is, is that when you go to those places, it's easy to get discouraged and to say, what am I doing here? And that's where Asaph was. He said, if I, and he goes on, he goes on then to say in verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I'll tell you, when I see the things going on in the world, it hurts. It hurts to see the wicked on top. It hurts to see those who are promoting error prospering. But notice what he says. You see, let me stop. Remember what he said, the prospering of the wicked is short. Okay. And therefore, in my way of thinking about shortness, that means that things ought to work out a whole lot quicker. But notice what he says. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Child of God, I don't mean to beat the same old drum all the time, but I think it needs to be beaten. We need to be in church. We need to be here. Because it's here in the sanctuary of God that we learn the truth. It's here that we learn what's really going on when we're being deceived by the world, when we're being, when our minds are being clouded by the things that we see. If we can come to the place where the truth is preached from the Word of God, in the sanctuary of God, we will learn some things that will help us in our daily walk. It helped this man. It helped Asaph. He said, until I went to the sanctuary of God, when I went to church, basically, he said, then I understood what's really going on. I understood therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Remember what Paul said? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. One day God will wake up. <laughs> he's not asleep. I don't mean that. But he's, he's kind of using that as an analogy here. As a dream, when one awaketh, so Lord, when thou wakest, thou shalt despise their image. And ultimately he came to this conclusion. He said, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. And he goes on to talk about what he really has in God. He said, whom? He said, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Now remember, this is the man that said, my steps had well nigh slipped. I was almost gone. He said, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Here we find that hope of the resurrection again. Whom, I, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So far, got the truth right, but the application wrong. The triumphing of the wicked is short, beloved, but it might be 80 years. It was 70 years in the land of Babylon. It might be your whole lifetime that things aren't right. And as a matter of fact, as long as we live in this world, things aren't going to be right. But praise God, He is not mocked. The true view is what we saw from Asaph here, that the triumphing of the wicked is short in the mind and purpose of God. And in due season, 
we'll reap if we'll faint not. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.